you know, you realize that um, you're not the smartest person in the room. There's a lot of smart people around. There's a lot of people doing a lot of great things, and you're just one of them. Now what? So I, I think in that humbling, you start to appreciate the um, the community more because ultimately, yeah, it, it, it's all of us that are going to be needed to solve the uh, the biggest problems that that we have in human society. With me on the show today is Keith Perry. Keith is the managing member of DAO Technologies. And Keith and I met many years ago, and we have had some great conversations over the years. So Keith, thank you for coming on to talk to me today. Awesome, JT. Happy to be here. Happy to do it. So one thing that I don't think we've ever talked about before is how, like, when you first got interested in computers. And people always love origin stories. So I figured, let's, let's start at the beginning, where most stories start. And... Do you remember like the first computer that you ever got to play around with or tinker with? Was it at school? Was it a family computer? Was it a friend's? Um, I remember that moment vividly. 82, 1982. My, I used computers in school a little bit uh, and um, before then. Um, minor stuff and my, and my dad worked for AT&T. Uh, so he um, and he was fairly high up in AT&T, first person to put up a network on the East Coast. Um, this is early, late 70s, early 80s stuff. But the, the thing that did it for me was going into Christmas of 1982, we were in Sears. I think it was Sears. Might have been, I'm from New York. So Sears, and Strauss, one of those stores in the computer department. Which, if you remember back then, the computer department was like, you know, on the side of the store with just a couple of things. You know, the TVs were over there with it, the radio, you know, the radio stuff. You know, no one really knew what to do with it yet. But my 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 dad goes over to a Timex Sinclair 1000, a little black membrane computer, and says, you know, do this. So I said, I said, okay, Dad. He said, 10, print key, 20, go to 10. <laughs> My name's scrolling on the on the screen. Man, I fell out. <laughs> I fell out. My brothers look at me like, "What is? What are you all excited about? This is stupid. Your name is on a screen, you know." Mm -hmm. And I was just like, "I've got to know more." So he ended up getting me that computer for that Christmas, and ironically, my brother got computers for a while after that. So we had. I had a Tomix 1000. He ended up getting a Commodore 64. I've got another brother who got a TI 994A. Uh, we had all the, uh, what else? I guess four, four bit computers or those eight bit? I forget which. I think those were four bit computers. Um, maybe eight bit. I, time just runs together. Uh, but we went from those to, you know, going into the 90s. Um, I went to Drexel. So we we were Macs back then, um, you know. All obviously the two eighty six, three eighty six stuff. So um, I just it was it was that's probably the defining moment, and then everything else runs together. I mean, I just got into I just got into like a little bit of everything at, at that point. Mm -hmm. So because I was just so interested in 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 um, really building things. Because for me, that's what I was I like to do as a kid is to build things. 
computers were because you don't think about computers in terms of building things, but you know, computers in 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 the eighties or just to say before the nineties, it was much more tactile and about building things. You you know, you got your printer, you got memory stuff, you you were opening the computers up and you know, even on the small and on the small computers you didn't do a lot of that's more peripherals on some of the smaller ones, but it was still very tactile, you know. If you if you got a modem in the eighties, you knew all the specs of that modem. It, it wasn't like you know the nineties where you got um, a, a modem and it was kind of like, well, which one is it? Is, is it a is a fifty six k modem? Is it fourteen four? And people would go, I I don't know. I just picked up a US robotics whatever. And so the, the quote unquote tech guy told me to get this. So I, you know, with me, it was just all about tinkering and 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 playing and i and i got that early exposure that that hooked me yeah back in the day if you wanted to you want to do something new with your computer you had to take it apart and add something it wasn't like you know mm-hmm. it came with all the things like oh you yeah. want to add a modem well you have the modem box but you're also gonna have to plug that into your computer which might take an add-in isa card so you're gonna have to pop the case off yep. slot that in yep. and then of course you know we didn't have PCIe back then, so it was like, well, I have to make sure the IRQs are all good. I don't have any conflicts between the addressing of all the slots. And yep. Yeah, it's so, it's so, so much easier these days. Oh, um, so pretty much you from that point, you would say that you always wanted to kind of get involved in technology, that that was the, the point where you're like, yes, this is what I want to do for my whole life. Or were you still kind of open-ended as far as not, you know, being open to other ideas and not sure what you wanted to do? I, that's a really good question. I would say... Um, that from that point on, uh, I knew I wanted to, I knew I wanted to build things and I eventually knew I wanted to solve problems and I'll, and I'll give you a quick antidote. So after the, 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 the Timex 1000, my next computer was the Timex 2000 and I was in junior high school and I wrote a program to help me with trigonometry. So I wrote a program to do all the curves and everything. Um, I also had a HP 42S calculator, which is pretty big screen. And I wrote this program for literally like a little, you know, two, uh, you know, two, um, two row dot matrix calculator that would also do plotting. And I had to zoom in on the area of the plot I wanted. So I, I wrote the calculator program and then wrote it on my, my Timex 2000. Uh, which really impressed my dad. He was like, wow, you're, you're, you're sort of doing it right because, you know, you're using the tool to help you understand something. And it was, I think, probably at that point, uh, which would have been junior high school that, uh, or early high school, that really dialed it into me that I wanted to use, uh, you know, I wanted to use technology uh, you or you know back then we wouldn't have said technology we would have said you know electronics or you know um, here <laughs> to to solve problems I I wanted I wanted to I wanted problems you know I wanted to you know I I, um, I I like a lot of people in tech there's enough ego there that says I understand some very complicated things and I know I can create things and and solve problems so give me problems to solve. You know, um, so yeah, it, it, I, I knew I was doing that. I, I, I think for a while, maybe, um, as all college students experience, there may have been some questions. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to finish this program? Um, 
I was fairly solid. I had maybe a, 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 a year or so of considering maybe doing something else. I didn't want to be a programmer. That much I knew. I, I tell when I'm counseling students, I, I tell them sometimes, don't get too bogged down with what you want to do. Figure out what you don't want to do because it's always easier. We're, right? We know what we don't like long before we know what we like. So um, I knew I didn't want to be a programmer full time. I, I, I really am a purist when it comes to being a programmer. I program to solve problems. If I don't have to program to solve a problem, I'm not going to program. I don't enjoy it. Uh, to that level. So I'm, even though now I've been programming literally since the late eighties, early seventies, but I don't enjoy it the way programmers do. Uh, on the other side, I knew I didn't want to be a hardcore engineer either. Cause again, I like working with hardware, you know, I'll wire wrap things, solder, do all that. Um, I enjoy that more than say programming, but I didn't want to necessarily do that day in, day out either. So where I ended up as what we call a technology professional now, and, and really I consider myself more of a, um, I, I do consider myself more of a, a business person because at this point in my life, it's not the technology that excites me. It's what technology can do that excites me the most. So, you know, if we talk about open source, yeah, I love open source. I love the concept. I love the community. Um, I, I, I love the fact that we've won the war in the conversation about the viability of open source. You know, it's 2020 now. It's not, it's not 1990 or even 2000, you know, or even 2010. You know, there, there were 20 after the great uh, recession. I, I think that's really what put open source on the, on the, um, the, the sharper climb up because people were really hurting for solutions that, yeah, arguably low cost, low cost or free. But people started to value people who really enjoyed, uh, again, problem solving. Because I think as I think if you're an open source person, you're the type of person that wants to get into the weeds. You want to get deep. You want to know. You want to learn. You want to constantly be about that. And I do not find that that's most technology people. That, that's why I don't call myself like an IT. I'm definitely not an IT person anyway. But when, when I'm playing that role, it's always cringeworthy for me, right? Because I don't, I, I just don't associate with, you know, the guy who went to maybe some tech school <laughs> or some, you know, college program ends up taking a bunch of uh, Microsoft or whatever, you know, things, Oracle, you know, the 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 uh, the big dollar, big name things. And when you talk to this person, they're miserable. They they don't they don't do tech when they're not at work. They don't care. It's a job. It's a check. And that's okay. I'm not, I'm not necessarily knocking that, but let's not pretend that people that are like that are technologists. They're not. They're, they're doing a job and hopefully they're well paid for that job, but they're not people that love tech. They're not people that care about tech the way that open source people would. So now when you went to Drexel, you mentioned that you guys used Macs and then later on, you know, the, the x86 systems. Yeah. When was it that you remember first coming in contact with like the concept of open source. Did you like first hear about Linux and then as learning about Linux, you learned about open source or did you kind of understand open source first? I, so I was fortunate to be in college around the same time as a lot of the people in open source. Um, Mark, Netscape, Mark and Dreesy, I think I'm, I'm butchering his name. The guy who created Netscape. He was at, U, he was at uh, UIUC when um, while I was at Drexel. And I remember back then on, uh, there was a, the, the college network, um, educational network was something called BitNet. So a lot of the schools were interlinked. 
through BitNet, but also the internet. And when I remember I was part of a team that put up a Gopher server, uh, so this is right before web stuff broke in like uh, 92, I think. Um, might be a little bit later, but mid 90s, whatever. There are people I've had email exchanges with or been on lists with that if you look at, if I look at the names now, I'm like, wow, this guy's over at this company. This guy is at, is at this company. So it, it was all sort of happening at the same time. You just didn't realize it was happening, right? All these open source things were just, they're just out there. People, people were writing code, putting it out there. You know, what is somebody at, you know, in, in, in this class or this institution think about this? Because, you know, you're in academia and you're, you're talking to research people, you're talking to people that are, you know, all different levels, all different backgrounds. And this is a lot, it's just literally the exchange of ideas that it's supposed to be. So, you know, we didn't know. And, you know, I talk to people all the time that um, I that I'm still in contact with. And, you know, we were on IRC in 91 and we still miss it. A lot of us, you know, we were talking about how we were doing CUC me, you know, video conferencing in, in 91, 92, you know, that that are early, you know, early, early to mid 90s. A lot of stuff, you know, popped specifically with Linux. I came to that in 94. Um, Kernel 1.9. Don't ask me why I remember that, but that was that was the first one I was that I was big into, and I and I realized that um, this was going to be a game changer, but only if those of us who recognize it as such were out there constantly pushing. Soon as I got into Linux, three years later, I started my first uh, company, and I was we were an internet service provider, and we were hosting websites and doing all the typical stuff early. Uh, internet service providers are doing, uh, including doing a modem bank. And again, hey, tech guy, what modem do I need? I'll go get this. Okay. <laughs> you know, so we we lived all that. But um, what I made a big point of doing as much as I could with a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback, um, was talk about Linux. I, I remember in my early career working for other consulting companies, and it was an uphill battle. You know, you were, I, I was the guy, junior member on a team um, back then. If I, you know, now if I was talking networking, yeah, I was a Cisco guy, like everybody was, okay? That was okay. But man, you start talking about servers. If the, if you weren't talking about, um, ironically, it wasn't even about Microsoft, about um, um, network back then, right? So if you weren't talking about net, Nobel Netware, you weren't talking about um, uh, Oracle or Sun servers, right? Uh, Sun was big. H H HP was a name. I won't say HP was big, uh, but they were a name. They were out there. Um, you got laughed out of the room. Shut up, kid. You know. And of course, right after the tech bubble, that all changed, right? Because the tech bubble cleared out a lot of the companies that weren't gonna gonna, gonna make it. It cleared them out probably earlier um, than they would have lasted, um, which is what's supposed to happen. But it, it was a struggle. And, and honestly, it was probably a struggle from probably 94 to 2004. Uh, it was a good solid 10 years of, it was very hard for me to do business and sell solutions that were open source related. Everybody wanted to name brand stuff. And, you know, look, to be honest, a lot of that stuff to, again, get into the weeds and, and become an expert at would cost the type of money I did not have. I, I wasn't going to buy a $50,000, you know, Sun server, $20,000 in, in Oracle and learn that. Now, because what's important, learning a system and a database or learning 
SunOS and Oracle, right? I think we I I think we know the answer to that now definitively, but back then, yeah, academia understood that, but the commercial market did not. And we know there's an ebb and flow there, right? It it sort of flows back and forth. So it was it was difficult. I think after 2001, things got a lot better. Um, one of the reasons things got a lot better is that AMD was um, a much better steward of open source and engaging with open source than Intel. They always have been. Um, and, I, and as a result, I've always been a, a fan of AMD personally because of that. Um, but there were there were sort of there were companies out there that that did get it, you know, and you could. You know, you could bring up AMD, right? Because that was okay to talk about the, the alternative to Intel. Now that I can bring up AMD, now I can talk about some Linux, maybe, right? Now we can get into, hey, you can get the same bang for bucking. Ooh, you can virtualize on AMD with this processor and not Intel. Why well, do I want to virtualize? This is why. Now you start to have a conversation, and now they're not thinking about the technology, they're thinking about the solution. So things started getting quite a bit better then. So before we jump into the business thing, um, a couple of other quick questions for you. One, you said 94 for Linux. So that if if memory serves, that would have either been Yggdrasil, Slackware, SUSE, Red Hat, or Debian. Do you happen to remember which exact distro it was? Because I know if I don't ask, somebody's going to say, hey, you didn't ask. I think you've asked me this before. Um, I started with Slackware. I had the disk. Okay. I've got the CDs. I still have, I still have some of the CDs. Um, cause I, I switched to, I was a long time Slackware user. I didn't switch to, um, uh, Ubuntu for personal and for business until 2010. So I was a long time, uh, Slackware user because I was compiling my own kernels. I always, I always did that even now. I, I, ironically, I've stopped doing that just because things tend to be fast enough. But if I had to, I'd feel comfortable doing it. Uh, for certain things like, uh, you know, for the music studio, I have, you know, low latency. You used to almost always have to compile that. But, you know, if you want like, you know, five milliseconds or let's say two milliseconds or less. Right. Um, yeah. On a computer that's not super powerful. If you compile, you can get it down there. Right. But nowadays, you know, like this, this buddy right here sitting next to me, this is an FX 8350. Okay. Uh it's it's going to be able to do that, right? Um, so yeah, it took me a while to switch. I, I um, still I haven't been back to Slackware since. Um, I also you know do the embedded stuff, so I'm playing around with ARM things, and um, and Slackware's got that. It's just that it was more prevalent with um, really Debian. I mean, that's really a Debian thing. I've I've got a BeagleBone. Um, I've run BeagleBone Blacks for most of my in, embedded type stuff. And um, that's going to be Debian, for instance. But um, but yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a Slackware guy. Um, that's where I started. I knew that was the reason I liked you. I, I that that was it. I knew there had to be a reason. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nowadays we have so much memory that it's like, yeah, my kernel can have a billion drivers that I don't need, and it doesn't matter because it's yeah. not going to have an impact. But you know, back in those old days when you're you know rocking a 386 or a 486, and you have you know a couple meg RAM, trimming down the kernel for stuff you didn't need actually made a difference and was important. You, you know what's funny about that? It, it made a huge difference, and it's one of the reasons why I really like um, playing around in the embedded space because, you know, when we think about technology, right, if you had to point to a group or organization and say, man, those guys know their stuff, right? Um, I look at NASA. This, you know, think about, think about this, right? You know, because a lot of people say we haven't been back to the moon yet and things like that, and okay, fine, we haven't been back to the moon yet, but the point is we did do it once. 
now we got stuff on Mars. We got stuff, you know, that's still going, right? And we still yeah, have things we launched in the in the eighties are still out there and still working. So like, I'm pretty sure they they know how to do some things. Yeah, like you talk about longevity, right? So when you think about that, and you think about command and control still viable in 2020 from something launched in the eighties, um, yeah, those guys know what they were doing, and it really comes from a time when, look, you know, in, in the nineties, you know, you could have couple of what, what do we have maybe a couple of hundred like may, not a, not quite a meg we were still working on k k hundreds of k right in the 90s because no, I, I know we have Megs well, yet. i forget <laughs> i think we were i think we had just it just crossed that because i remember i forget how old i was but i remember we up for christmas one year we upgraded our 386 from one meg to four meg of memory okay and i don't think i was in high school yet i think it was right before i was in high school so that would have been like early 90s maybe okay i think we had we had a dx4100 server for a one of in the in the internet company and i was that was quote unquote the big boy and i i think it probably had 64 megs of ram maybe one it, it was a couple of it was in there it wasn't yeah, that it, sounds that about right a, yeah it wasn't a gig it was like hundreds of megs right but i remember talking to somebody about that and I, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, hundreds of men. And they're like, yeah, I'm not impressed by that. And I looked at him, and I was I was going, why? He was the first person to, you know, sort of make this comment to me. He said, we've got satellites in orbit that are running off of hundreds of K. And, of course, you know, whether that's true or not, his point is that, you know, there's something to be said for, for engineering, right? There's something to be said for squeezing every little bit of horsepower out of something and again as as someone who likes to build and someone likes to optimize again engineer brain i like that concept you know i i you know the idea that i can compile my kernel and be able to do just a little bit more than than i could without compiling it that that to me was cool and and it used to i used to be surprised how many linux people didn't compile kernels yeah it took me a while to to do it because I didn't want to break the system. And so my system was given to me already installed. I didn't install it. So it's like, uh, if I break this, I'm not going to be able to figure out how to install it again. So let's not break it until I know enough. Right. Uh, right, yeah, right. On, the, on the NASA thing, uh, the moon lander had 32 K of memory. And it's like, if you try to build just a hello world application with electron these days, you need hundreds of megabytes of memory. Yeah. yeah. Just, just for a hello world. That's yeah. it. That's all you're doing. Hundreds of megs. Isn't which, that amazing? Which is, uh, <laughs> yeah. I go off on rants about how lazy and inefficient our programming is these days because memory yeah. is so cheap. Yep. Uh, when I was a puppy Linux day, the, uh, the entire distribution, so the full OS, full desktop, all the applications you could need, browser, spreadsheet, media player, yeah, MP3 awesome. player, all the things, yeah. was like yeah. 120 meg. Yeah. And it's like, there are programs now... Uh, and I'm not I'm not trying to rag on the devs because I, I know why they chose to use Electron for the base, but it's a program to burn ISOs right. that you know just to burn disk images, and it's over 100 megabytes in itself. And it's like you can burn a disk image. The the puppy team like we had an entire OS in that space. Yeah. Like there is some definite laziness going on with programming. But that's <laughs> do you remember? Because you mentioned that you know, once you got into Linux, that that was like, you realized, oh, this is a game changer. Was it one particular thing that stood out to you? Or was it just kind of like the, the culmination of all the things that you noticed about Linux? Um, 
I think initially it was so for me because uh, I was still let me see ninety four I was going into my fourth year at Drexel and I said did two co ops at Sony so this would have been coming off the third one at the computer center right so I I was spending no 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 coming off of Sony because I did the computer center first so right I was coming back from Sony so. After work, I, so I did that co-op at Sony, and I came back, and I was working at the computer center uh, anyway, and I started, you know, I, I was getting, I was coming up on thinking about what am I going to do after graduation, right? And I knew I wanted to start um, my own thing, right? Because I I, I, I I, worked enough for other people to realize that that's just, I can't do that for 40 years. <laughs> you know, I, I can't even do that for 10 years. I got to do something else. Um, and I was trying to figure out where the edge would be, right? So again, um, you know, 22 years old, I, yeah, I, I didn't have the rich, uh, family member to give me again, $50,000 sun server, $20,000 Oracle licensing, you know, to build whatever, right? Go forth and be fruitful. No, this is, this was going to be, uh, effort on my part. So I'd figure it out, uh, which is fine. This is again, engineers. Ego, all that good stuff. Uh, and I mentioned I was a New Yorker, so yeah, throw that in there. Just a <laughs> lot of, I'm going to make this happen or die trying sort of stuff going on. Um, a lot of encouragement from my family, my dad, you know, all business-minded people, really. So I started looking at how to do that. And I figured whatever I was going to do, I needed the tools to be able to solve problems. So I could program. Um, I could do the electronics. You know, I could, you know, um, if, if I... I, we were assembling computers and selling them back then. So I, I could do all that. I could fix things. You know, um, my undergrad is, a, is electrical engineering. So, yeah, I do understand a lot about that that type of stuff. I didn't want to become an electrician or anything, though. Um, so I, I knew I had all these skills, but I knew I needed more to, to be viable in an open market, right? Because, again, I'm going to be competing against all these people doing all these things that are going the to, that are going the traditional way, and I'm just not a traditional guy. At the end of the day, right? You know, it's uh, I'm not full on artist <laughs> per se, where I just refuse to do certain things. I, I like to tell people I'm practical and pragmatic, which aren't quite the same thing, but they they sort of overlap. Linux I saw as a basis initially to do other things, and again, when we started the the internet company. That was all about just providing dialing access to the internet. We did not have to host anything. So it's more like you think about what's happening. Someone calls in on a modem and they're just hitting your router going back out to the internet over whatever pipe you have. And you're, you're charging for that, right? That was sort of what early internet service providers do. Um, it, it's really the only thing an internet service provider is supposed to be doing if, if you look at our regs, but that's sort of another conversation. Um, but it sort of made sense for us as we started to try to do other things. Again, web hosting. Okay, well, how do we do that? Well, you know, were you, were you actually going to get Microsoft and try to web host on, I forget what that horrible product they had was, uh, whatever their web server was, it was, uh, it was horrible. IIS. Uh, I'm not even sure if it was out back then. A lot of people were running other stuff on, on Microsoft, but of course, Microsoft eventually did their own and screwed it up and horrible product, so on and so forth. Um, Apache, I think, was our first game changer because we realized that we could host something. And of course, that platform is programmable because you can, you know, 
plug things into it. Uh, I'm a Perl programmer. That's that's what I write 99% of the stuff I do in, um, even to a point where I'll compile it for Windows, right? So um, that was the first game changer because we knew we could do, we could chart our own path and we had the tools uh, to do it. So getting into the business side of things, uh, you came and gave a talk at the uh, the Linux lug that I helped run um, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And you had a slide, which was a play off of uh, Fight Club mm -hmm. about the first rule of Linux. So I'm just going to hand the mic over to you and say, <laughs> explain that and, and tell me your perspective on that. That is that that slide from that talk and, and one other one are my are the things that people remember. So. What I like to what I like to tell, um, so to step back a bit. So that talk was about using Linux to solve business problems, and that was the title of the talk. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that, as a Linux professional, and this again goes back to my own history and experience with this. People don't what, what technical people don't realize, but they 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 really 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 need to is that the vast majority of people do not care how you make the sausage. Okay, they don't care how you solve the problem; just get it done. That's more important. That's that's more true today than it was previously, because again, like I said previously they'd want to know, "Hey, are you using Oracle?" Because I want to be a member of Oracle. I want to be running Oracle. I want to be using Cisco routers. Right? People do not care that. Okay, I, I can go in. Someone says, "Oh, we want Cisco." I can go in there and start talking about Lenovo routers, and they'll listen. Okay, I can do a pound for pound comparison of that stuff. People are more open to it now, but because of that. They don't want to hear, again, how the sausage is made. So I would tell technical people, the first rule of Linux is to not talk about Linux. And it's become a staple of anyone I talk to who's trying to get into this field or even other business people in FOSS. Don't talk about it. If you're in a meeting, talk about things that business people care about. Use phrases like pain points, okay? Cost reduction, okay? Uh, you know, uh, forward expenses, uh, use, learn and use as many business terms as you can stand to, to, to learn and use, all right? Because you're speaking their language, right? It's just like, look, when someone comes here, we're gonna engage with them if they if they speak broken English, right? Because they're trying. So if you, if you mark or even speak someone else's language, yeah, a business person knows that, you know, I don't have an MBA. And even if I did, if my undergrad is in engineering, they know that's that's how I started out. And if I'm talking technology, they know that's really where my head is. I got the MBA so I could do the business. Now, you don't have to, um, but you do need to learn the language. MBA is the three letters that say you know the language, but you can still know the language without having that, right? So, um, yeah, that that talk and that slide is very poignant because it is literally the truest thing you could say about about FOSS is, look, just don't talk about it. Now, even to this day, I, I've myself become more in, in that space. I really, like I said earlier, I, I, I don't enjoy the deep tech for the sake of tech as much as I used to. I'm more concerned with helping people and helping businesses solve problems, right? I, I, I love to do it. You know, it's not that I don't love to do it. I love to play around with the stuff. I, you know, like being in my lab, as they say, and and tinkering. Um, I'm more of a hardware guy, and I've gotten back to that more these days um, because of the embedded space and, and some other things, um, um, amateur radio. 
you know, I got that back in my life some years ago. So all of those, you know, working my hands, I've gotten that back in. So I've had sort of a personal evolution there. Um, but yeah, just just don't talk. Solve the you can solve the problem without talking about it, and no one cares. So that's that's even better because now you solve it and save people money, and they don't care. Well, that's the best of both worlds. Yeah. So a friend of mine, uh, also from Pennsylvania, Charlie Reisinger, who I've had on the show before, he brought in Linux into his school district. And it was the same type of thing. It wasn't like, I'm going to push this open source angle. It's, I'm going to push the, this is a solution that we have in place that works. Here's another solution that we have in play that, that we can put in play that will work. And then he proves that. And then, well, here's another a solution. And then as he then slowly built up all of these open source solutions, when the school district was looking to, okay, we want to go to a one-to-one -one laptop program, it was an easy sell for him to go, well, you know how we've been using open source tools for all of the things that we do? Let's just keep that train going. Yeah. And it wasn't then the argument of trying to explain why this is a good move. Right. Do you think that there is a change in the attitude towards Linux based on it being free? Because I know previously there was a big attitude from the business side of things that, oh, it's free. Well, that means it's not any good, because if it was any good, they'd be charging us a ton of money for it. Do you see that changing where now that isn't a concern or is maybe even a positive? So, yes, because so there's a couple of things. So you're, you're absolutely right. I, and, I, and again, this is what I was hearing for 94 to 2004. It's free, can't possibly be good. I mean, to the point of arguments, I was teaching at tech school and a guy was saying things like that. And. Meanwhile, I'm teaching my students how to do not just local area networking, but wide area networking, because I could take a runtime Linux CD, have them boot into that, show them the actual command, and build networks. Because building a network is building a network is building a network, okay? What I would tell people is that the idea that it's free is a misnomer. So here's one of the other truths out there. Um, and this I gave it, uh, I think I mentioned this at a talk I gave at um, Foscon a couple of years ago. People put money into products instead of people. Or what I like to say at the end of my talks, don't put money into products before people. So what does that mean when you, in the context of FOSS? Well, Linux may be free, and a lot of stuff we do on Linux may be free, but my time as Keith is not free. If I'm doing something, I want to be paid the same way anyone else will want to be paid because I'm a technical expert, right? Now, if you want to argue technical expertise in FOSS versus other things, we can do that all day because I've never, I mean, literally never met a open source person that was just open source because by definition, we've always been integrators. We've always had to figure out how to make all of this stuff work together. So FOSS people, in my experience, tend to be more technical. They tend to be more knowledgeable across a wide range of technologies. So there's breadth and depth. Whereas when you start talking about product knowledge, you know, look, you want to learn how to do, uh, ex you know, exchange or whatever the current mail server is, you know, for Microsoft's platform. Sure, you can do that and you'll probably do very well at that. But do you really understand email? No, you don't. Okay, um, that's 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 just the truth of the matter. You have to want to be a technical person and want to, and you know, like they say, you have to want to be. You, you got to be curious about these things and willing to learn new things. So I think as time has gone on, 
wording it that way has worked. I, I've, I've, you know, I, um, I had a contract recently with um, GSK. That's a very large company, <laughs> okay? And, you know, it's researchers, so of course they're naturally already more open to open source and, and are using open source tools. But the fact that, you know, someone like me from a smaller organization could get that contract um, is, for, for me, it's, it's one of the major achievements um, with my company now. You know, that's something that we have a testimonial about up on our website, you know, what, what we're able to do. So I think people realize now that it's it's not so much about the thing that's free. It's how people like us, open source people, it's how we choose to solve problems. And again, as, as, as much as I, I sincerely enjoy knocking Microsoft and other companies, it's not that you aren't going to use those things to solve problems. Of course you are. But those of us who understand the FOSS world are able to bring all of that knowledge to bear as well. So we tend to come up with solutions that are honestly just a little bit more robust because just like your guy did, um, I've got similar experiences where you, you, you sell a little bit into an organization. You convince an organization to use just a little bit, right? You know, it used to be just the DNS servers in the closet that were Linux boxes, right? It's not true anymore. You do a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then after a while, you reach some sort of balance. Sometimes you're mostly open source, sometimes you're still other things, but at the end of the day, the customer is getting the best solution because they're hearing from people like us that are giving them more to choose from. It's not just the you know five or six things that all of us can name off the top of our heads. Because you think about it, this is, this is, there's a lot of people on this planet and there's a lot of technology. Why is it, how could it possibly be that there's only, you know, five to 10 things that are the best in class. It's, it is absolutely not true. And in fact, it's, the math would say it's mostly wrong. And I think most of us would agree with, would, would agree with that. The other thing is that you, that you touch on is, you know, people, technologists with an open source mindset is we are so used to having to dig into something to understand it. You know, it's not like, okay, here's the Microsoft solution. And here's the thousand page book that explains the Microsoft solution. Flip to the page you need and memorize it so you can, you know, recall it. We actually have to get the ha our hands dirty in the software, the project or whatever it is to figure it out, figure out, okay, how can this work with what I'm facing? And as a result, I think people with that open source mindset and have used open source tools, we're much better at solving problems because we actually understand what the problem is and then have to figure out how to take what tool is the best for that problem. Whereas people that are siloed into certain proprietary solutions, let's say you're, if you're a Microsoft guy, every problem is, is, the, is the nail that you're going to hit with the Microsoft hammer because that's what you know, because yeah. that's what the thousand page book that you have says. And going outside of that then creates more problems because, well, now you're getting into things that you don't have a thousand page book for. And well, what are you going to do? And the fact is, is these days technology is evolving so fast that by the time Microsoft can print that hypothetical thousand page book, it's probably already out of date by the time somebody can go and buy it and get it out of the bookstore. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, everything you said, I I, I totally agree with that. And, I, and and the whole thing about the the Microsoft Hammer, you're right. If 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 you have it, if you see nails, you're gonna want to use a hammer, right? You know, if everything you think is if if no, that's a nail. You're going to want to use a hammer, even if you should be using a screwdriver. And that is that is exactly the problem with being siloed into what I call product knowledge, right? 
because you know and again i i i you know i knock things but then sometimes i kind of peel myself back from it oracle to me this so i'm a postgres guy most people know me know i'm big on postgres um really i'm really cool with roof manjin and postgres is one of the first um mailing lists i joined or irc channels i would join to actually help other people so you know like way back <laughs> so um i used to it used to drive me crazy that someone would want to do Oracle and not even hear about Postgres because Postgres is an amazing, <laughs> an ama as a matter of fact, after Apache, I would say Postgres is the next big thing for me in terms of solving tools, you know, things that, you know, allow you to solve problems. And yeah, I just keep coming back to that theme, open source people are problem solved. I, again, engineer brain for me, just as a classic academic, but when I talk to open source people, they all sound like engineers to me. Like we could have all, you know, I could, this is someone I could have been sitting next to at Drexel. It's the same sort of mindset. I, and I tell people all the time, re, 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 regardless of whether you, you know, whatever career path you, you take, if you're always that, if you recognize in yourself, you're a problem solver, always nurture that, always nurture that because the vast majority of people are not. Most people followers, give them the book, do this thing. They just, well, well, they just want to be as a member of the herd. When you're a problem solver, you know that there's going to be a night when you're up and you want to be out with your friends, drinking, having fun, spending time with the wife or girlfriend, whatever. And you were 20 hours into what's going to end up being an 80 hour project, right? That's, that is just not most people, not even close, you know, especially you know, there's so many distractions now, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, the discipline needed to do some of this stuff. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it's been an interesting journey. And I think every year, um, the open source community proves to everyone that, yeah, the water is better over here. It, it, it really is. You know, you can, um, you know, you, you can, you'll benefit from coming into our pool for a little bit. <laughs> so looking at Linux and open source and the things that are currently being developed and improved upon, are there any things that you see being worked on now that you think are going to be very revolutionary for businesses and being able to make business work more effectively? Um, I... So I have to take it from a very selfish point of view with the things I'm working on. That's fine. Uh, I, <laughs> I think that, um, I, I really think that the storage solutions and security solutions are, you know, this is something we all fight. This has nothing to do with open source, right? It's security, data protection. Um, my The biggest service I have for my company is data protection. But we take it from a business continuity point of view, not necessarily from a te technology point of view. But on the back end, there's a lot of technology that I've put out to provide this service. And I think now with um, disk drives, storage, you know, storage drives um, of, of, you know, whether you're talking, you know, spinning metal or just SSDs, you know, they have a place um, as well. I, I think with we know data is going to get bigger, right? No one's people don't delete things, right? We just add. Okay, so you don't you don't go from a four terabyte drive to a two terabyte. You go from a four to an eight, right? So and then you uh, keep the four as well. Keep the four, right? And then you keep the four, right? You know. So I think 
we all recognize that, because to, to your point, people are sloppy. People are good. I, mean, I got four terabytes worth of stuff. I'm not going through that, right? That's what we all say. Clean up, you know, clean up your stuff. No, I'm not doing that, right? Try telling a business to dig through their entire history and clean their stuff up. It's not happening, okay? <laughs> it's just not. Um, so I, I think as we continue to have more, the, the, the open source world is providing solutions now to that consumer, prosumer, and professional level, I mean, all levels, that uh, it's going to be hard to compete. I mean, a lot of people are into the cloud thing and, and things like that. And, you know, I guess it's okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not big on cloud personally. I think it has its place. Um, I think its use case is much more limited than people want to admit. Um, but it's not as apparent because I don't think we've we've sort of seen the over the hill, right? You know, if I buy how much is a how much is a 10 terabyte drive cost you, right? That's gonna be that's gonna be a chunk of change. Okay. It's not cheap. Do most people have 10 terabytes worth of data right now? No. Do they have four? Yes. Is four affordable? Just on the border. I think it's just right there on the on on the border where people say, you know, you're driving by a Best Buy, you go, you know what? Pull over, I gotta run in and get a four terabyte drive. You know, I think we're Almost there, but not quite there. Now, what do you do with that? That's the thing. Now, what do you do with that four terabyte drive? Open source, we know, and you know from your, your time with uh, FreeNAS, right? You know, that's, yeah, we know we can pull this thing together and build something that is viable for the end user. The other thing that has to happen, though, is people have to become more willing to get into the weeds, or as I have to say, get dirty, right? You got to be willing to roll up your sleeves and say, yeah, this is an 80-hour push, but at the end of the day, I'm going to have something that is worthwhile. When you overlay those two things, security and storage are the things that pop out to me because we know we have the, security is always a thing, right? Protecting your data, encrypting it at rest. We know we have to do that. I think I don't think you tell somebody they should encrypt the data and look at you like you have two heads, right? It used to be Oh well, what do you have to? What do you? What do you? What do you? What are you afraid? What are you afraid of getting out? You know, what do you have to protect? That's not what that's about <laughs> at all. It's not how this works. Not, that's not how any of this works, right? So, well, anytime those people say that, I always like to say, okay, fine, give me your bank account information. And suddenly they're like, whoa, 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 bro. Well, that's private. Yeah, right. I, don't, I don't want that getting out. Oh, oh okay, uh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now it's now it's yeah. So now it's a thing, right? You know. So yeah, it's it's one. I, I do the same thing. I go really like, okay. Let's continue this conversation, and you'll see <laughs> you'll see you're wrong about your thinking right now. Uh, so I, I think those two things are as people become more curious and more concerned about really protecting their data and really um, upping their um, um, security technology, right? Even with the, you know, I'm all, I'm all, I'm also into uh, uh, the the uh, stuff with the open hab and the, and the smart home stuff. I think that's going to push this technology as well because I think that's been done wrong. Everybody wants to use ugh, the Amazon, you know, stuff and 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 other cloud based things for like it's insane to me that you'd ever have your security footage <laughs> just run from a cloud resource. Like if you want to back it up there secondarily, fine, but you should have complete control of that. Uh, what if someone breaks into your house and steals your service with all your stuff? If someone breaks into your house, you probably got other problems, okay? So stop it. You know, there's there's a way to handle these things. So yeah, I, I, I think that those are probably the two big things, but 
you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm like I said, I've recently got back into um, amateur radio. Um, you know, been back to that for a couple of years, and I think what open source has done there with some of the things, just you know, small little radios or well, SDR is the term, uh, software defined radio. Um, but that aside, because that's I think also going to take off. But you know, some of the things we can do now as amateur radio operators, you sit at your computer and yeah, it's what's called network radio, where you, you're sort of using the internet as a backhaul. But there's nothing stopping you from plugging your computer into a actual RF device, you know, a radio, and putting things out there and doing some great things there. So I think that um, even though there's some pushback from um, the, the public sector, there's still a lot of people in, in, let's say, emergency services that understand the value of amateur radio operators. And again, that's another space where you had to be a tinkerer, you had to be a problem solver, and if you put your time in, you were able to do some some great things and harness technology in ways that were very relevant. Uh, so yeah, I, I, there's um, and there's there's other things um, out there, but those are the things I think I I think about most. Um, I, I do a lot of the security stuff these days, and just getting people to understand that you've you've got to protect your 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 corporate data. You know, you've got to have you, you've got to have that stuff and it's got to be tested. You know, no matter what you're doing, you've got to know that if something happens, you get hit with some ransomware. You got to know you can say F you to those guys and rebuild and rebuild in a way that they can't corrupt. I, I, you know, all of this stuff is 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 based is really goes against Windows. The worst ransomware stuff is against Windows. Not that they don't affect other things. Get into your network during your network. Got to make sure your your Linux stuff is you know, secure as well, but we're, it's apples and oranges. And it's, it's, it's a one, it's another one of these things where I'm going to have to put a little bit of that stuff in, solve a problem and then say, here's a little bit more, solve that. And then, you know, five years from now, there'll be the big question and I'll do what you're, you know, what Charles did and say, Hey, we've been doing this other thing. Let's just stick with it. Yeah. The security thing is interesting because we still have to have this dumb argument that open source can be more secure. And I don't understand how in 2021, this argument still exists. I mean, the solar winds thing happened, which, you know, of course, obviously something like that was going to happen. It was a solution. Nobody could actually see how it was working. And that doesn't mean that it's secure, but like there were people in the solar winds. I don't know if they worked for solar winds or they were just in that community, but there was a quote that one of them made about how open source is like eating from a dirty fork. And how when you when you reach for the drawer to get a fork, you want a clean fork. And if open source is like you pulling out a dirty utensil. Seriously? Do, do you know what has happened in the world? Do you remember the Intel stuff? Yeah, they thought their oh, solution, yeah. their hardware solution, proprietary uh-huh. hardware. Yeah, no one's ever going to be able to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Somebody did. And like, oh, I have a so personal wonder. agenda that we need more open source hardware, Yes, but it's like, yes. we have hard time today selling people just on the open source software side from security. It's like, if we can't solve that and get people to finally wake up to the benefits of it, selling them on the open hardware is going to be 10 times harder. Yeah. You know what? I just was on, I signed up for, um, you know, uh, the Beagle Foundation. They're doing an open source risk V, uh, or, you know, uh, risk five, right? And okay. that I I am super excited about that because one the Beagle Foundation you know their stuff you know their their stuff is all open reference so I can take this you know BeagleBone Black Wireless add some stuff subtract some stuff do whatever I want this is open source already as hardware right but 
Is it a, as powerful as a Raspberry Pi? No. Is it as powerful as an Odroid? No. That said, now they're gonna they're they're coming with a Risk Five solution. Um, I, I'm super excited about that, and it's it's exactly to your point. We 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 this argument is over with software. I remember the free the, the uh, you know uh, free software foundation. I think around 2012 or so, or maybe after that, they put out a thing, and they were, and it, it says something along the lines of beating up on Microsoft right now is like kicking a a a, a dead dog or something like that, or kicking someone while they're down. It's it's done. If if you still think that closed source product knowledge silo knowledge is the way to go you 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 at this point it's not objective okay <laughs> you're it you you are making a biased point and there's nothing wrong with that but say that okay because you're wrong right just like this guy saying it's like a dirty fraud no you're 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 wrong about that you know it, say that you don't want to read code say that you don't want to learn code say those things okay but don't say it's a dirty fork because you're you're just you're just wrong about that. If if we do ever get to open source hardware, uh, and I think we will, I think it's probably coming this decade, probably the mid. I think it's a twenty twenty five thing personally. Um, I do think um, if I had to guess, I think a lot of that might even be driven by machine intelligence and the AI stuff, because I, I think there's a, I think where we are now with some of that is. We, we, we understand a lot of stuff in software, but I think a lot of the hardware, because a lot of this is GPU and do you use CPU, CPU is better for something, GPU is better for other things. Um, I, I think that you're gonna see more people wanting to do uh, specialized hardware and you're gonna need an open source effort to do it, right? Um, Xilinx, I think is another approach to this where you're using you know, um, FPGAs to do some of this so that you can program them in the way you want. You need more GPU cores, you do that. You need more scalar, you do that. You can adjust it at some point if you need. Um, you don't have to buy new processors. So I, I think there's a number of things in that sense with the hardware that are really, really exciting. And I, and I do think a lot of that is coming, um, like I said, probably middle, you know, I, you know 2025 and, and, and later. Um, but you're right. We're we're gonna have to because the Intel thing was is amazing. And it's funny because AMD had less of a problem with that because, as I used to tell people all the time, AMD's got better engineers. No one wants to talk about it, but AMD's got better engineers. I'm sorry. It's it's just look at the whole Ryzen thing, which I was jumping out my seat over two years ago, and I tell told people. It's AMD from now until 2023. So, and everyone, no, it's, it's not going to happen. I'm like, you guys don't get it. Intel can't figure out seven nanometers. AMD spinning up two lines in parallel in two years that are seven nanometers. It's, it's, I'm telling tell me, it's done. And what happened? They did it. It's, it's happening right now. Intel's having a hard time catching up. And on top of that, there's a threat from NVIDIA. And on top of that, there's a threat from ARM. So this is, you know, hardware for me, especially being a hardware guy, you can see I'm all jumping on my seat now. Uh, I'm super excited about hardware right now. I, I, am, I am, you know, like McDonald's, I'm loving it. You know, it's, it's really, I think this is probably, um, and maybe we had to go through the whole phase of like Raspberry Pis and smaller ARM boards and embedded stuff to even get to some of the bigger stuff for acceptance, right? Because, I mean, to your point, what's someone really gonna say, right? Oh, this is an open source thing. I don't see any viability of that. And I'm like, hey, 
you know, have you not heard of Raspberry Pi? Because you probably you probably have one. Your kids probably used one. You know, <laughs> you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be like that, right? It's you you know these things. You just might not see the the viability yet. You know, um, and, and someone is going to come up with something to uh, to make it happen. Um, but yeah, Beagle Foundation is. I think they're probably they might be early into uh, uh, into this if they they really come up with a, a really solid um, risk five product. I think that's gonna be. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. The only thing that concerns me about Risk Five is that they've made it to be extensible, so that people can bolt other things on top of it that aren't open, and that mm -hmm. that kind of concerns me a little. But yet, at the same time, I'm getting more that's open than I get with Intel. So, like, it's still a win. It's not as much of a win as I want, but it's still a win. Yeah, it's not. Uh... Yeah, on the open hardware side, I have been, and I, I fully admit it, a fanboy of Open Power for a while. The problem is, is that right now it's a little too expensive. Yes. There is a company, uh, Raptor Computing, that has put out some, I've and seen I Raptor think their in most inexpensive system is, I think it's like 1500 which is, that's a lot to dump on a fancy toy to play with and to, to design with. So if that price point can come down, I think it'll be great. And I really, I really hope that Red Hat is able to have some impact on IBM because I want, I want old school IBM engineering to like get back in gear. Because I remember like the old power uh, CPUs, like the Power 5 and Power 6, ah. like they were doing the MCM design yes. back then because they realized this is the best way to get the most efficient chips and the highest yields so that we can keep costs down. Now, for them, it was a it was a profit thing because they can keep the manufacturing costs down, but still charge a lot. Right. But like AMD to their to their credit was like, yeah, that's a definitely a better way to go. We should do that, too. And apparently Intel has now realized that that's the way to do it because um, they're now they're now they're now starting to, to do some uh, research and design oh, on that. So it's yeah. like I, I really hope that Red Hat can kick IBM back into gear because I'm a firm believer that we need more competition in the space and more competition that's open is even better. Yes. So like I would love for open power and risk five to go head to head for like 10 years continuously because what we're going to get out of that is going to be phenomenal. <laughs> Oh man, that's a thing of dreams. Good grief! Oh, that would be amazing. That would be. Good. I'd, I'd love to be. Yeah. So let's. We, we, yeah. How do we make that happen? And let's get a mailing list going because you're right. That would be. That you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of. I don't remember the old BOS and Talisman project. The promise of what that was supposed to be, where you had Motorola, right? You know, they sort of. They were really the ones who were pushing. You know, because it was Motorola versus Intel. CISC versus risk, right? That was the thing. And now you had IBM and um, so it's Motorola, IBM, and I forget who was the third company on it. Um, but it was the Talisman project, I think. And and I remember BOS when they're trying to push it. I was like, oh my God, if they ever get this thing going, you've got a file system that's already a database. Like, wait a second. I mean, you're you just walking a tree is gonna be trivial now. It's like, oh, I have a million objects and uh, an LS takes me two hours. No, I won't do that. And it's funny because literally problems like that have just recently been solved with parallel with parallel computing uh, file systems, right? Because we we take the metadata out, we realize that was a better thing to do, which is kind of like a database concept in in one regard. It's sort of a different way to, to slice the same thing. But it, we you know we we sort of miss that. So yeah, I agree, man. I would love to see Risk Five and Open Power because and, and I see your point. You know, when something is too open. You 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 do have this issue of um, I, you know I call it the Apple thing. I mean, a Apple 
I, I don't think Apple's been a good student of open source in recent years. I know a lot of people like using them, and you know, anytime you see a Google conference, you got the, the you know the hipsters with the their Apple laptops, and I get it, it's fine. But I, I think Apple plays both sides of the fence maybe better than other people, and maybe I'm just sensitive to one side of that, right? You know, in one hand they'll say, yeah, we switched to uh, KVM from. Um, was it VMware and they saved like a billion dollars in licensing or some crazy number that they were talking about a couple of years ago, which I thought was an amazing statement and something that I'll quote for, you know, forever from now on. But then you'll see where, you know, why is their system so closed off? You know, why, why aren't they, you know, I tell people all the time, you like, you like Macs run Linux and just get a, you know, a, a Mac, uh, window managed for it. As a matter of fact, I did that for my wife's computer. She, she, she used to be a graphic designer. And she she likes the the Linux stuff that has the uh, she liked elementary OS. I just recently moved her to um, elementary. There's because uh, elementary is kind of hard to upgrade in place. Um, but I moved it to I can't think of the name right now. But another Ubuntu based distribution that has that same look and feel with the little dock at the bottom all over and all that jazz. So you know it's it's Mac like not exactly the thing. But you know why doesn't Apple contribute Aqua back? Wouldn't that make it? Wouldn't that wouldn't that be a win? I mean, they're not going to lose anything, right? You know, so it's 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 kind of interesting to see how the corporate world is fighting back and pushing back against this because I think they all know they're on borrowed time because as soon as somebody in open source, you know, sort of targets what a company, you know, a closed sourced uh, company is doing in any sort of viable manner, it usually goes bad for the company, right? Because you're not going to stop somebody from being motivated to do something on their own time. And we should want more of that, right? Like you said, we should want more of this open source stuff. Let these people let people go at it. Let's have all the technical, crazy arguments that open source people like to have. Because, you know, we we have, you know, I tell people we have religious, we have epically religious arguments, right? You know, just system, system D versus anything else. I mean, <laughs> it's just you know, you, you, you're going to need drugs to, you know, you know, come back from that stuff. But you do that because it gives you better solutions on the other side, right? Because you've had every argument you could possibly have. And, that, and that's what people don't realize about the power of open source and the power of community, really, right? It may be nasty and it, and it may look ugly. It may even be the dirty spoon at sometimes, right? There is such a thing as bad code. It's, but it's not just open source, it's bad code everywhere. Um, and that's fine. But if the code gets cleaned up in full visibility of not just one person or 10 people, 1,000 people, 10,000, million people, what, what questions are you going to ask that that group hasn't already asked? This is why I don't understand the security thing, right? Like people say open source is not secure. It's like, are you, are you insane? That is, that is literally the stupidest thing ever because if you find a bug, you literally can fix it. It's, it's just, you know, fix, you know, fix the problems with any of the close things we talk about. You talk about open source hardware, fix the firmware issues, you know, the the uh, the architecture issues, the low level stuff with Intel. No, you can't. And that's the problem. You can you can know a problem and not be able to fix it. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, that's almost unacceptable. That's another thing that keeps me, you know, in, in open source for, for certain things. Right. At the end of the day, if I am not smart enough to fix something, I will find the smart person and pay them. I'll do that myself. Um, but if I can fix the majority of things, then I'm winning. 
if I'm on the other side of the fence with the, the siloed stuff and closed source stuff and closed anything, closed architectures, I'm not fixing anything. I'm not getting the answers I need. And oh, by the way, I, I'm not a tier one customer, right? I didn't buy support. So I'm calling the thing or sending the email that doesn't get responded to for 72 hours. I mean, that, that's just no way, it, this, this is 2021. There's, if it's not fixed yesterday, there's a problem, right? So, you know, a lot of what these guys say doesn't make sense anyway, you know, in today's world. It's interesting you bring up BOS because I was a, I was a BOS fan back in the day. I, I absolutely loved that, that OS. That OS, had it survived, it would have been my other system other than Linux um, because I absolutely loved what it can do or what it did. And the fact that, you know, that was in the 90s and they had a 64-bit journaled file system and like just out of the gate. It was like, yeah, this, this is what we have because it's better. Like this, <laughs> that's just it is. I actually, last year, um, I picked up, it was a, a the developer version of the B-Box um, that was used by the Linux PPC group wow. back in the day. Now, it's unfortunately, it's incomplete, so it doesn't have the front fascia and it doesn't have the blinking lights and it has rework all on, all inside. But uh, it has the okay. dual Motorola 603s in it. Nice. Um, and it's like, I really wish that, that A, that would have taken off, but B, that Motorola would have been able to do something more in the CPU space. Yeah. And we wouldn't have just ended up with effectively the, the Intel right. AMD duopoly. Because IBM didn't care about the consumer market. They only cared about enterprise. Yes. And it just eventually, between AMD and Intel, one of them was going to get enough of a lead to then start to clobber and eat up the market. And I'm so glad AMD is, is clawing that back now. And I hope they keep that train going because, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, yeah. the more competition we have, the, the more incentive other people have to then try to develop something better. And that's one of the things I think is great about open source is because all of us can help develop those better solutions together. And if I'm developing something and I run into a brick wall, you can then look at it and be like, oh, dude, this is what you have to do to get past that problem. And it's like, perfect. All of us can work together to make something better. Yeah, it's community and the collective. You're right. Um, so what advice would you give to people who are thinking about getting into tech, but are like, well, I don't know if that's if that's really for me or if I'll really fit in. What kind of advice would you give people to just, if they're interested, to go for it? What I like to tell people is, um, and even people who are already in tech and want to learn something new, find a project or a problem that you want to solve. Um, I tend to say find a problem you want to solve because that's that's emotional, right? But if you do that and try to, and you want to approach that with open source, okay? Don't do it the way you would normally do it. You're, you're going to try something different. It orients your brain to be more open to learning the new tooling that you're you're going to need. And I think once you do that, you you're able to make that determination: is this something you want to continue doing? Right? Is this something you really uh, want to get into. Uh, now, if, if you answer that question in the affirmative, then I think it's just a matter of, you know, picking what you want to do and, and you know, understanding that as with all things, you, 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 you're going to have a career that is going to have a, a, you know, a start and an end. And what you want to do as you approach the end point is not be the guy who doesn't want to learn something new. Be the guy that wants to mentor Pass along wisdom because what you're gonna, as we discussed, what you're gonna learn in open source is a lot about. A, you're gonna learn a lot about a lot. You're gonna get breadth and depth. That's gonna allow you to see things uh, that other people can't, and you're going to be led to wisdom in a tech, in a tech uh, technological form, right? So 
you don't want to get frustrated and just exit completely. What you want to do is recognize that I might not want to, at a certain point, you're just not going to, you may not want to learn something else, right? And that's, that's, it's always sad, but you know, life is life. And sometimes you, that choice is not given to you. And sometimes you just want to do something else and there's nothing wrong with that. But again, if you're a lifelong learner, you usually do that to the end. You might not learn 10 things in a year, you'll learn five, you'll learn two, right? So I think you want to pick something that's interesting that you really are engaged with um, and, and just, you know, see what you can offer. Um, I really enjoy meeting and talking to people who are not in technology, who want to get into it, who see a problem and go, like um, the people who uh, do the uh, 3D printing machines, right? They, they use Raspberry Pis as controllers for that. I mean, this is, I'm like, this is up, upending the CNC market. You don't have to get a sp specific thing anymore. You can literally sort of design the printing device yourself and know that you've got, you know, a, a command and control device that is, you know, under a hundred dollars and the software is, is, is available. So there's, you know, there's someone who solved that problem, right? Um, and like I said, you know, this, the smart home stuff, this, that is something that's, getting solved. So I think um, I, I think coming to it from that point of view, that's going to orient you to answer that question. And then from there, it's just picking uh, what you want to do and, and figuring out how to build a business around it. One of the other things that I've always found interesting about open source, and, and you touched on this earlier, was that, you know, when you wanted to do something, you didn't need a, a $10,000 course and you didn't need all this expensive hardware because there, there really weren't any gatekeepers. The, the road was wide open and you can you can just go and learn and do. How important was it for you and just generally for the community, how much of a benefit do you think it is? The fact that there are no gatekeepers and effectively the only person who can stop us from doing whatever is us. Uh, that's 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 the ballgame, right? Because the knowledge um not everyone is going to be a research fellow at a major university with a budget, right? So the fact that you can do that without all those things, I, there, 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 there is nothing else more important than that. You know, the, the free and open seeking of knowledge and sharing it is how human beings have become the dominant life form on the planet. Okay. If if the dogs and cats were doing this, we would be the pets. And for those people who have cats, they already know they're the pets. But again, <laughs> that's a sidebar. So <laughs> you know it, it the, the fact that we're able to do that is like I said, that's 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 the ball game. Um you know one of the great things I enjoy doing every so often when I have the moment is to just sit down and research something that I haven't spent much time on recently. Take a Friday night, Saturday afternoon, spend four or five hours researching, you know, playing around with things and and uh, seeing if I can move my knowledge forward. Um, what do we need to do that? You need a a some sort of device that connects to this thing called the internet. <laughs> That's it these days, right? I mean. You, 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 you look, it's, it's again, it's 2021. You spin up a VM with the new thing that you want to do. Right. And you start tinkering. That's, that's it. If you have, if you're going embedded, you download the, the, uh, the image, you burn it into your SD card, put it in your little embedded device, plug it in and off you go. I mean, it, it's there, there is, there is 
is really nothing more important to the continued evolution of technology than the ability to do that. And, and really the only place where it's completely open uh, is in the open source world. Because again, like you said, if JT wants to research something, JT goes and researches something, that's it. The only person stopping JT is JT. The only person stopping Keith is Keith. If you, if you work for a company, yeah, you might get a little bit of headway, but you know what? If you're not doing it yourself, you're limiting yourself. You know, if you're doing exactly what your job says, we want you to learn this. Well, okay, but I want to learn this other thing too. Nah, your job is this. We want you to learn this, do this thing first. And if we have some budget next year, we'll give you some some money towards you can take a course or something. <laughs> you know, we'll send you to Vegas. Uh, okay, maybe. But again, this is sort of the difference between open source people and people in in other uh, technology fields. We're able to we're able to 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 do that, and with not a lot of the cost. And a lot of it, unfortunately, is around software. And, and me being a hardware guy, that's sort of rough because, like I said, I'm not a programmer. Uh, programmers often drive me crazy um, be, because they sort of <laughs> they, they 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 sort of get into what they're doing, and then that's it. This is everything. You know, they created the new mousetrap. It's the best mousetrap ever. And no one can tell them any different because they created and it works and that's it. Yeah, there's some there, there's some there, there there's some third rails we have to watch for in the open source community, but it's not nearly the same as as in other places. Um it it, it just isn't. And um yeah, I, I think um, you know, and, and honestly, you know, from a non-tech non-technical point of view. This is, I think, for me, mental a mental health thing too. I mean, this is very, very weird and off into the weeds. But if you're not keeping your brain active, it's going to start to not do the things that it used to do. <laughs> um, I, I have no other way to say it. You, you talk to people who are the sharp, you know. I think we all know people that are, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, and beyond, and sharp as attack. And that's because they're active. They're active physically and they're active mentally. And I think what we're doing as open source people, I, I think our lifestyle um, is, again, one that nurtures that. But I think 20 years from now, medical people look back and go, why the hell are these open source people? <laughs> like, like, you know, the machine intelligence thing is telling us that, yeah, these guys have been doing open source stuff for 20, 30, 40 years. And yeah, they're still doing it at, 90 and 100 years old why is that why is it possible how why why is that why is that the case you know i i think it's just you know if, if i had to take the pebble and throw it as hard as i could as far as it could i think we we'd hit something that says something along those lines that you know open source people keep our we keep our brains more active than than other people you know i, I really i really believe that and and, and and again not knocking other people who aren't think about other things in their own ways, but it's just what we had to endure mm -hmm. as open source. Yeah. And also we, we always have to collaborate with others and work with others and communicate with others. And we always get that feedback of other ideas. So we don't end up pigeonholing ourselves into just one line of thinking because the people that we're working with, we all understand that we all pitch in our ideas. And of course, you know, I, there's a yeah. quote by somebody I can't think of of who it is, but it's it goes something along the lines of you know once a brain has been stretched or expanded, it it doesn't you know it doesn't rescind, and we get that from working together in a collaborative community, and that's one of the things that I I love about open source is 
the fact that I can sit down with somebody that I've never met before. Like I, I, I know you've run into this at conferences as well. I can sit down with somebody I've never met before. I know absolutely nothing about them. And I can just look at a sticker on their laptop and be like, oh, so you use blah, blah, blah project. And they'll be like, yeah. And it's like, okay, so what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm doing this. And, and then an hour goes by and we've just had a great mm -hmm. conversation and we didn't even know each other. Right. Yeah. That it's, it's the, you know, it's funny. I, t I, I was, I was telling somebody, I, I don't, you know, because of what I'm doing business wise, I tend not to go to technical conferences because I can't do business at a technical conference. But at the same time, I'll go to something like Boscon, which is literally the only thing I go to, because uh, it's here and I don't have to travel. Um, I, you're right. You, you, you cannot. You, you need the camaraderie. You need the community. And I think it does. Again, off in the weeds. I think it does more for for us mentally in a way that we're not consciously aware of, right? You know, like you said, you see the person, they're running the same thing, you're having these conversations. And yeah, I geek out when I hear technical people talking about things and you get into these conversations with them and someone might just mention that one thing that you're like, oh my God, that's, I was just thinking about that and you just made me think about this other thing and I think I'm solving this problem because we're all like multitasking, right? We're all like, you know, programming as we're talking, like, wait, wait a second, hang on. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's like, we're all, we're all constantly doing that. We all know what it looks like when we do that, you know, space out or whatever. Uh, but when you can be around other people like that, and like you said, exchange those ideas, because as smart as we all think we are, um, it's not about that. Because like I said, we're all, we're all problem solvers. We already know we're all problem solvers. So it's not about that. We'll get the, we'll all get the problem solved as individuals. But when you put a bunch of those individuals together, and like you said, let them go at each other and try to emerge the best solution. The only way to do that is with other people because human beings don't have the, you know, we're not built to sort of partition our brains into the four camp and the opposition camp so that we can emerge better solutions. That's just, we're just not built that way. So we have to have that incoming from other people. And like I said, it can, it'll get ugly and nasty. And yeah, there's people who have um, some soul, maybe there's some like, like you said, there, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a thing out there that technical people are socially awkward. I found that to be mostly false. Are there people that are socially awkward? A hundred percent, because there are people that are socially awkward, period. And I don't think there's necessarily a higher percentage of technical people in, in the sort of TV sense that you you that that that's out there if there is a higher percentage it's for the same reason as a higher percentage of sociopaths that are business owners it's because we're talking about maybe you know what are, are there people that are absolutely nut jobs that do uh you know orbital mechanics probably it's kind of a serious business i don't know <laughs> you know if you're if you're designing missile systems or you're a bit of a jerk you know and other people have, uh, yeah probably kind of important <laughs> you know so yeah I, I i think if you if you if you talk about a silo and there's more people in a silo that are a certain way then you're not making a point okay that's to be expected but if you talk about just general society then no there there's there are people that are socially awkward and i i think if anything the open source community is exactly that is more open um but we're still humans and we still have plenty of personalities, and that's fun. I mean, who wants to be around the same people? Who wants to be around themselves? Like, if you clone yourself, clone yourself 10 times, would you actually do it? 
I, I win. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have to. I have to live with myself every day already. I. I don't want to live with ten more of me. Like I want other people. I want some variety. Exactly. I say that same thing. I live with me every day, and that's already too much. <laughs> it's, it's enough. One is enough. I, I need. I need some input. You know. And yeah. I. I. I, I dig it from that sense. You know. I mean. It's. It's. It's energizing. It. It helps you. I mean, you've been through it. You, you go to a conference and you come back and all of a sudden the thing you've been, it's been multitasking in the back of your brain. All of a sudden you have some inspiration on that and, and you start getting back to it. And, you know, even if you maybe didn't get the little lead that might help it, you just have this energy that says, you know what, let me come at it from a different way. Let me do this. Let me do that. And it's just, it's just renewing because you know, there ultimately, you know, there's other people out there, you know? And I, and I think, you know, like I said, community, community matters. I, I think I've probably evolved on that personally. I, you know, I, like I said, I came into a lot of this as most young people with a lot of, you know, um, I don't know, piss and vinegar, I think is the term, right? You know, just all fired up, right? Thinking I'm going to save the world. And then you realize you're not going to save the world. You know, you realize that um, you're not the smartest person in the room. There's a lot of smart people around. There's a lot of people doing a lot of great things and you're just one of them. Now what? So I, I think, in that humbling, you start to appreciate the um, the community more because ultimately, yeah, it, it, it's all of us that are going to be needed to solve the uh, the biggest problems that that we have in human society. The other the other downside to convent or conferences is though is yeah, you get great ideas for the projects you're working on, but I always end up usually coming back with like wanting to do three or four more projects because of people I talk to, because I heard their great ideas. I was like, oh yeah, I want to do that too. Right, um, And I had a conversation, I forget who it was with years ago uh, about conferences and sitting in a room with somebody who actually wrote the software. It was when, it was at Self actually, where uh, Richard Hip was giving a talk. And of course he's the guy that, oh. that created SQLite. And I remember talking to somebody about that and they're like, well, isn't like, isn't that cr like crazy? Like being in there. Cause you know, he knows so much more than you do. And I'm like, that's, that's why I want to be in that room listening to him talk. Like I, when I go to a conference, I want to be the dumbest guy there. I want everyone around me to be way smarter than me so that I can pick up information and learn from them because that's going to make me better. And I think generally in the open source community, you know, there are outliers, but I think generally that's kind of a mindset that a lot of us have is that we can all learn from each other and there's always something that another person can do that we can benefit from. A hundred percent. I don't even, I don't even rate it as the smarter thing. I've heard, I've heard that too. Like, you know, oh, what's it like being in a room with, you know, this person or that person who's, you know, famous or whatever. And I, and I think that's just a, you know, that's just a vestige of, you know, most of, in, you know, we're Americans, right? So let's just say American society. A Star Trek. Now, I'm a New Yorker. I am not even remotely Star Trek. You can walk around New York and bump into famous people all the time. It is not a big deal. No one cares. No one even notices at the time. Okay. I was at Brooklyn Diner across from Jerry Seinfeld once. This was not a thing. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it really wasn't. Okay. So I, I think a lot of people have that. But like you said, once you go into the logistics of it and the logic behind it, yeah, it's not fun. I once told someone you and I both know that it's no fun to be in a room and be the smartest person. That is not always fun, okay? In fact, most of the time I would say it's not fun. And the reason why is because the way our society is set up here in the United States is that um, 
we sort of, we like to talk about team, but we really only praise the guy at the top, right? So if it's football, it's about the quarterback, right? You know, you know what I mean? It's like, we don't do people, you know, baseball is weird because baseball is a team of soloists, right? It's not to say, even though and that's insulting to baseball, of course, but most people can talk about the individual baseball people because each one of them up the bat is all in them. But when you talk about football or basketball or soccer or, you know, or even hockey, it's the, every, it's always about that one guy, right? It's very rare you hear about it's the team and everybody does, you know, sort of the, the military thing that says, it's the team, you know, is, you know, Colonel comes in and says, Hey boys, you know, good thing. And team goes, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Team effort. Right. Cause it's not about, it's not about the individual. It's about the team. We don't really do teaming well in America. And I, and I think, you know, I think maybe some part of me, um, also was drawn to open source because of that. Um, cause I didn't want to be working for you know ibm or cisco or anderson consulting and and be the guy even though look you'll get the money and and everything else that goes along with that but what type of life is that really you know what happens to you what happens to your customers if something happens to you if every little thing is on your is is just about you that doesn't work to me that's that's very limiting right because human beings are very limited so yeah, I, I once was talking to somebody about open source being a philo- a general philosophy, not just about technology, but just being a general philosophy of life. And I I think these days that's mostly my thinking, right? The technology is great, love it, still going to do it. But even when it comes to business, right? Why is it that business? I mean, the way DAO is structured, we're structured as a horizontal company, right? So you know, I can re- I can always call in other consultants under DAO, do hiring under DAO and things like that. But ultimately, DAO exists as an organization that's part of a collective, part of a team, part of a community that's all tackling certain things. And if we pull it in to the group, then we all eat, everybody's successful. If each one of us is doing that, you have a lot more success, right? So you have a team of people who are stakeholders, team of people who are, you know, masters of the craft, if you will, right? I think that's a much better way to live, a much better life experience than doing this whole, you know, I got to be the top dog, you know, I've got to make more than everybody, I've got to have the bigger house, I've got to be the man, right? Everybody knows that phrase, the man. That's fun, but that's also lonely, you know? I, I Honestly, I think that's lonely. That's like... I don't want to be the man. I want to be the man with a bunch of other men, a bunch of other women. You know, it's like, you know, we're all we're, we're all doing it. You know, like you said, it's that camaraderie and that energy that you get from exchanging these uh, exchanging these ideas. So, um, yeah, open sources for me become definitely much more of a lifestyle as well than just the the business side of it. I mean, you know, most of my life is preoccupied with business, but I my, I think I've enshrouded my entire sort of existence these days in that sort of thinking because it's it's just it's just a better way to live it's just your your stress is lower <laughs> it's just you know just just it's just better well keith i think that is a, a great spot to end on like all of our prior conversations this one has been yet another pleasure um i really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with me awesome i really appreciate you having me and yeah as always another another great talk and uh yeah, man. I always love doing this stuff. I like talking to you all the time. <laughs> we'll talk again soon.